Hey everybody, it's Friday, so you know what that means. It's time for the roundtable. The Memphis Grizzlies and the Timberwolves are forever locked, and it keeps happening. But we got to talk about that. Anthony Edwards, if I was him, I'd be pissed off. And that's coming up next in the roundtable talk. But before we get into that, I want you guys to remember, this episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. And I know my moments have been more when I have money on the line. And I'm not talking about a lot of money. I'm talking $10, $20, people. I got a parlay coming up for you later. 20 bucks could win you $1,000. 20 bucks could win you $1,000. And the Timberwolves are playing the Magic. So I feel like it's a lock. Is it locked on? We'll find out. But just visit FanDuel.com backslash locked on today to get started. Well, fellas, I got Ron Johnson. I'm Ron Johnson, the host. I got Luke Inman, Reggie Wilson, Sam Ekstrom, and all the people. I want to thank you guys for continuing to be around us. Uh, download, like, share, comment. We had a million downloads, streams on YouTube. So I want to I want to thank everybody that has downloaded and listened and watched our shows. We hit a million. Uh, so we, we are very grateful for that. So we got to start the show off, fellas, talking about the NFL. But we'll get into some basketball talk, people. Don't worry. We're going to get into this parlay with the uh, Timberwolves magic. Uh, but we're going to start with the NFL because if you listen to, to talk radio right now, it's Black History Month. So I'm, gonna, I'm very, uh, as an African-American man, uh, it, it means a lot to me. I think every month should be celebrated uh, with just American history because black African-Americans, uh, minorities did a lot for American history. I don't know why it's just one month, but in this month, one thing happened that's never happened in the NFL before. Two things, actually. One, we have two African-American quarterbacks in the Super Bowl. Never happened before. When you think about all the way back to Doug Williams, you, you go back to Randall Cunningham, you, you go back to Warren Moon. We've never seen two African-American quarterbacks meet. And not too long ago with the Bears coach, we saw two African-American head coaches meet. And now at some point, we're going to have two African-American GMs lead a team to the Super Bowl. And then we've had our first African-American uh, female agent to represent the starting quarterback. I mean, they're, they're, we're getting into the weeds, but again, African-Americans in this league, we don't have African-American ownership yet in the NFL. I don't know if that's ever going to happen because it's going to take a lot for somebody to want to sell uh, their team. Uh, and then also because they get to pick who they sell it to. This is not one of those things where they have to like interview five different candidates to buy their team. They can just say, I want to sell it to Disney. I want to sell it to whoever. Um, but when you look at the African-American scope as a quarterback, uh, Jim Polian made the comment about Lamar Jackson. He should be a running back. He should be a receiver. You, you saw Jalen Hurts. People were questioning, can he be a starting quarterback? Chris Carter even questioned Patrick Mahomes being a starting quarterback because his footwork. We see his footwork doesn't matter. The dude can throw from any angle. So is this changing now in the NFL? I'll start with you, Reggie. When you look at the African-American quarterback now, are more, because you got Bryce Young coming out, you got C.J. Stroud coming out, are more GMs now going to look at those two guys and say, you know what, I don't care what traditional quarterback should look like. I see what I see in these guys, and I'm going to build an offense around them because the Eagles did that for Jalen Hurts. They built the offense around him, and that's why they're in the Super Bowl. Do you think that's changing now? Yeah, I do. Uh, even going back to Lamar. You know, they got rid of, I think it was Marty Morningwig was their offensive coordinator, and they elevated Greg Roman to offensive mm -hmm. coordinator. Obviously, he's not there anymore, but they decided to go all in on Lamar transitioning from Joe Flacco. And I think that's just kind of the trend right now. It's so funny. Uh, I think it was last week it came out. Mel Kuyper put Will Levis as his number one <laughs> quarterback yeah. in the draft. And you're just like, come on, man. Are you serious? Everything that you've seen from Bryce Young, he's a no-doubt, no-brainer, number one overall pick. Like, if you have a quarterback 
that you are trying to build around with this particular draft. I don't think you draft the guy from Kentucky. Like I think you you take the guy that was a gamer and game in and game out proved that he could make plays, whether it was, you know, with his feet extending things or, you know, standing in the pocket and just throwing darts. Like Bryce Young has all the tools. And back in the day, I don't think that was the the thing. You know, even going back to Tony Dungy, I talked to him uh, during Thanksgiving, and he was talking about how, you know, he was a quarterback at U of M, and then he decided uh, – they decided that he would be better suited on the other side of the ball. You know, Ken Riley, I was uh, covering the Bengals. He was a quarterback. Fam you, they decided, oh, we're going to put him as a cornerback. And I think he should be in the Hall of Fame, by the way, but, you know, that that's – neither here nor there, but these players are, are more and more coming out. And I think the, the traditional way of thinking of, Oh, you know, they're a really great athlete. Let's try to maximize them at a different position as opposed to, Hey, let's just try to figure out, you know, we've seen more like college style offenses kind of matriculate their way into the NFL a lot more these days than we have before. And I think, you know, that's something that I think is not going to change and it's going to continue forth. You know, back in the day when Russell Wilson was, you know, a black quarterback to start in the Super Bowl, I think that was one of those things where people were looking at him as like the the change. You know, it was like, oh, he can play in the pocket and do what he needs to do, but he also has the, you know, the ability to extend. I think it was like the bridge from like the old guard to the new guard. And now we're seeing it much more. Like you said, Jalen Hurts, it was a lot of questions about whether or not he could be a franchise quarterback. And he leads the Eagles to one of the, you know, the best record in the NFL this year going to the Super Bowl. And they don't get to where they are without Jalen Hurts. And so I think things are changing slowly but surely. And I think it's a good thing for the league. Sam, what you got? The pure pocket passer will be extinct someday. Um, it's basically Darwinian. Like they are not going to be coveted coming out of college because they can't move. Um, they will be drafted later. And players that don't have that quality, the ability to be mobile, to get out of the pocket, to run with the football, they will just not get college jobs anymore because colleges are also going to adopt that type of pastor. Like it, it is a necessity going forward in the NFL to have some element of mobility in your quarterback. And if you don't have that, you're going to be behind the eight ball. So obviously you've got a number of them that, that are grandfathered in right now. Kirk cousins is one of them. And eventually once Kirk cousins dies out like a dinosaur might, um, he will probably be replaced by somebody more mobile. And that's the direction that a lot of these teams are going to go. They will move on from sort of the old guard and they will adopt somebody athletic and agile. And that's the new wave. Uh, we're not going backwards, guys. We're not going back to everybody's in the pocket. Everybody's staying between the tackles. It's not going to happen. We're going forward. The progressive choice at quarterback is to get more mobile. And I think that we're probably going to have someday 32 out of 32 that are kind of dual threat. And uh, the teams that don't have that, they're the teams that are probably going to be tanking. I just think that it's such an advantage to have at the quarterback position. And you can't deny that when you see what you get from our two Super Bowl quarterbacks here this weekend. 
Luke, what you got? Yeah, Sam and Reggie make great points about the mobile quarterback. I went back the last 12 years to see, were we close to having two black quarterbacks in the Super Bowl? Because it is pretty astonishing mm -hmm. when you look at the landscape of the league right now. Like, were we one game away at least? Assuming out of 12 years of championship games, there had to be at least three, four, five times we were just one team away from winning and you'd have these two black quarterbacks. And you know what I found? Because it was always Brady and Peyton and Big Ben in the AFC championship games, or if it wasn't them, in the NFC, you had Aaron Rodgers, Eli Manning, Matt Ryan, Carson Palmer in the NFC. We haven't even gotten to the championship weekend where it's been even a possibility we would have two black quarterbacks in the Super Bowl, at least as far back as I went. I went back 12 years. So it is a great moment for so many people. And honestly, it's it's pretty astonishing when you think about what Sam just mentioned, the new wave, the new era of such mobile, athletic, agile quarterbacks. And I just look at the landscape of the NFL as a whole, just taking a step back and all the backlash that they've taken. Just for example, lack of black coaches in the league for so long. And I know my voice is small in this conversation in the big scheme, but it does frustrate me that it's taken this long to make the necessary changes for equal rights opportunities for any and all people of color to have the same chances to be a coach in the league. And I just hope we'll get to a point soon where it's no longer a discussion or even talking point that we're talking about this kind of stuff. And that's why I was so excited to see D'Amico Ryan's land in Houston, because that's an organization that has been on the forefront of a lot of the discussion about equal rights because of the owner, Robert McNair. And now to see some upcoming coaches, candidates like even Steve Wilkes in Carolina this year, for example, Brian Flores, he should be a head coach again in probably a year or two down the road. It just gives you hope that there is this new chapter coming in the NFL moving forward. But again, just to see Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes, the final two quarterbacks standing for reasons that go well beyond just the football field is pretty astonishing to see. Yeah, and, and I'll be quick with mine. Uh, the way I look at it is, yes, it's changing. Um, is the quarterback uh, of a Tom Brady, of a Peyton Manning going away? No, I don't think so. I think when you look at how smart those guys are, um, there is a certain uh, je ne sais quoi, I guess you'll say, to, to that type of quarterback because you're going to have that offense uh, that is a true running team. Uh, you're going to have the guys like you know Shanahan who it doesn't matter if you run because I don't need you to run. I'm going to run the ball. I'm going to shift the motion. I'm going to help you out. But then when you look at these teams like the Eagles, like Sam brought up, like the Chiefs, um, you know, I don't think the Joe Burrows are going away. Though That's the thing. I think I just think it needs to be understood that if you have an opportunity to get a guy like Bryce Young. Now, the question is 5'10". And I went back to, to, to the short quarterbacks. Fran Tarkington, Tarkington, six feet. Drew Brees, six feet. Russell Wilson, 5'11". Uh, you got Joe Theismann, six feet, Michael Vick, six feet. Uh, you go down to Doug Flutie, five ten. So again, those are the top 10 quarterbacks that were six feet and shorter. Could Bryce Young be in that group? Yes. Uh, but it has to be a team that can use him. I, I think the Cardinals, the problem with the Cardinals experience, uh, one, Kyler Murray is really, really little, like he's littler than little. And so that's the problem is you have to come up with plays to get him out the pocket. But then when you don't have a run game and you don't truly embrace a true RPO, because they don't really run a true RPO, um, I, I do feel like Kyler Murray with the Eagles, and this thing, Eagles have an offense line, Eagles have a great defense. You put Kyler Murray with the, with the Eagles, I, I, I kind of think you get similar production. I, I think, you know, he's a guy that's faster than Jalen Hurts. He's not stronger because Jalen Hurts is 223 pounds and he can squat 600 like or bench or something like his, his leg press or squat is like 600. It's ridiculous. Um, 
So is is it changing? Yes. Uh, are these black GMs now going to come in and understand uh, I'm looking at the entire scope of every athlete I, I, I look at? Yes. Um, I think that's going to be the key moving forward is before it was it was a let me let me hook my boy up. And when you looked at who their boys were, it, it wasn't a person that looked like me. And now I think owners are starting to understand the error in some of that thinking like, oh, I got I got to have somebody I know. Like I got to have somebody I can golf with because that always comes up too. owners want to have somebody that, that, that they can golf with. So you tell me you can't go golf with Tony Dungy or you can't go golf with D'Amico Ryans. Like, I, I think that's where we're, we we got lost in this, uh, where this is a business. You know, it's not about what I get to do outside the office because we do know some owners treat this like a toy. Like they fly in their helicopters and they just show up to practice with their 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 golf and drinking buddies to hey come meet Peyton Manning. Hey come 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 meet you know Tom Brady. Like we we get that, um, but this is also a business and 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 I'm glad it's changing. Uh, but we have to move on. We have to move on. Uh, but before we do. Because we're we're gonna move on and, and talk a little bit about NFL officiating. Because there's a, a scary number out there right now with the number of calls New York helped out this season. I didn't realize how big it was. And when I say it to you guys, you're gonna be like, "What?" The NFL helped out with us an astronomical number of plays this year to not delay games and force coaches to use the challenge. Uh, does that need to go up? We'll talk about that next. But before we do, we have a read from a, a word from our sponsors. Yes, we do. We are brought to you by FanDuel, America's number one sports book. We're excited to make them our new sports betting partner. And if you're new to FanDuel, that's great because they have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. You can download FanDuel now on the safe, secure, easy-to-use app. You can bet Super Bowl 57 with a no-sweat first bet. You'll get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. FanDuel lets you bet on everything from money lines to point spreads, to all of those props. Like, who's going to score the first touchdown? You can find that at FanDuel. Best of all, you get paid your winnings instantly. Go to FanDuel today. FanDuel.com slash locked on. Claim your no-sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Well, it's time for, uh, to speed it up. Everybody's going to have a minute to, to, to get their thoughts in. We're going to speed the show up now because here comes the fast-paced questions. So starting off, the NFL, 254 plays were called down with a because the refs, well, people don't know, refs have an earpiece in their ear that the booth can talk to them and say, hey, New York just said that's Patrick Mahomes' knee was down or he that wasn't an unnecessary roughness. He, was, he actually got touched when he was on the green. Um, that wasn't a challengeable play, but that should have been. Uh, but when you look at plays like that, um, because that would have to be added to this new New York thing. But New York overturned or helped out on 254 plays this year, and they stopped 127 challenges. 127 times coaches were about to challenge, and New York said, man, we don't even need to go through this. Don't pick, pick the challenge flag up. It was down, or it was an interception, or it was a fumble. Um, that's a lot. But clearly it sped the game up. Clearly these referees are missing things. They still miss some plays. When you look at uh, the Devonta Smith catch that was – not a catch on fourth down for the Eagles, and they gave it to him anyway. Um, didn't change the game because they didn't have a quarterback for the 49ers. But when you look at that, what's going to happen with this NFL officiating? Does it need to change, or does New York need to get more involved in some of these plays, or does that take away from the human element in football? I'll start with you, Sam. Yeah, this is going to be a debate for many, many years, and I don't think we're ever going to have a perfect solution. I, I do appreciate New York 
phoning in. Like, I think we saved a lot of time. If you watch that Vikings Giants game, that was a great example. There were probably six or seven moments where they made the adjustment quickly. We didn't have to suffer through a review. There were fewer, you know, breaks in the action, kept it going. I thought it was really good. Um, inevitably, and, and Mike Florio pointed this out in his article about it, there are going to be plays that slip through the cracks. And then coaches are going to be upset that they had to burn a challenge. And there are going to be plays that get missed entirely. And there's not going to be 100% perfection with that system. So that's going to open up a whole new set of problems. Um, and then you've got penalties. What do you do with penalties? Because if you can review all this other stuff, well, certainly you could review these penalties and make sure that the calls are correct. But officiating in the NFL is so subjective when it comes to throwing flags. Um, are you really going to open up the holding call to review? No. We already saw what happened when you tried to review pass interference. That was disastrous. So people saying that ah, they should make these roughing the passer calls reviewable or these, you know, the, the shove on Patrick Mahomes in Sunday's game reviewable. I disagree. I, I think when you slow things down when you get down to the hundredth of a second frame by frame. Uh, it just it comes across so differently than in fast motion and in reality. Um, I wouldn't want to expand replay to that point, but I think that the, the New York kind of eye in the sky is off to an actually pretty encouraging start. Yeah, it's not going to be 100%, but I thought it cleared up a lot of little things like where the ball should be spotted, was he in, was he out, two feet down, that kind of thing that's objective. I think it was very good at determining those objective measures within the game. What you got, Luke? Yeah, Sam's right. It is a slippery slope once we start to get into just the little nuances of the human element. But I will say at this point, there's too much advanced technology now. We live in a world where we can have every angle of every high-def shot instantly after each play is over to not get the right calls on the field every time. Because at the end of the day, that's all everybody wants. Got to make the right calls, whatever that may be. And, you know, you look at the industry. This is a $10 billion industry now. Money, technology, that's not an excuse anymore. Whether you got to even get as crazy as you can put a chip in the ball now, Ron, and you can know exactly where the ball carrier's down. On every single play. Maybe we got to look into challenging penalties again. Think about some things a little bit differently this time around. See what works, see what didn't. But I do think the booth reviews, the overturned calls that came from the league office in New York in real time, that was a great start to this because for me, the rewards outweigh the risk of slowing the game down just to make sure we're getting the calls correct on the field. These players, these coaches, they work too hard to have the outcome of every game be determined by two or three blown calls every Sunday. It's just not right. And the fans, I mean, the fans pay so much money to come sit and watch these games. And they're the ones really at the end of the day that pay for it because it tarnishes the credibility of the game when there's huge blown calls at major junctions of just these pivotal games like we saw last Sunday. And so if you have to turn a three-hour game into a three-hour and 12 minutes, that's fine by me. Uh, just as long as the best team is winning every Sunday, I think we'll all be happy knowing you've taken the human element of the refs out of the equation, at least to some degree. What you got, Reggie? You know, I was watching the Lakers game when they played the Celtics when LeBron just had one of the like all-time <laughs> meltdowns that we've ever seen. And it's so funny in the NBA because whenever a call happens, the players are always like, got to look at it, got to look at it. And it's funny because, like, that particular play, 
they couldn't do it. That they were they were out of of challenges, if you will. And I think that's something that we're okay with, as you said, Luke. Like that'll be okay. Like as long as they get the 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 call right. Like LeBron should have been at the free throw line shooting two free throws to put the game away. Instead, they go to overtime. They lose. He was exhausted. He didn't want to go to overtime, and they lose the game. And so we kind of look at that game with the the Bengals and the Chiefs. I still, you know, I, I came from Cincinnati. I have so many Cincinnati folks on my timeline still complaining that the refs are are in the Chiefs' corner. They were in the locker room with the Chiefs celebrating after their win to send them to the Super Bowl. And I think that is a shame that that is – you know, what people are talking about instead of the fact that Mahomes just went out there on basically one leg and gamed the Bengals. And what I do think that they should try to do is invest more into more training for these officials because it seems like at the blind eye, like, they just blow some of these calls. And I know that, you know, the the game is advanced and all that, but, like, all the money that they put into the game, I believe that they should be investing a little bit more, maybe a lot of bit more into making sure that these officials have much more of a trained eye at what they're watching because we do see some calls blown in real time that you're just like, what in the world? Like, how how did that happen? And I think it's hard because, as you said, Sam, it's, it's just when they're watching something in real time, it's just tough for them to make the, those judgment calls the right way. But like they have mm-hmm. to get those right. And the last thing I'll say is they also need to make sure they define what is a catch. As you mentioned, Ron, like that Devontae Smith, like what what happened there? But also the whole like touchdown or not a touchdown type thing like that what should have been a touchdown in in the Buffalo game with Jamar Chase, like he had two feet down in the back of the end zone. And because he went to the ground and the Mm. ball moved, it was called an incomplete pass. But if someone just like catches the ball and, you know, when you play Madden, when the ball goes over the goal line, like just even a little bit, when the Mm. ball is over the goal line, they, they blow it dead. It's a touchdown. Why is that not the case and, and like I feel like they've really made things a lot more difficult than they need to in the league. Like he had two feet down, whether or not he went down to the ground or not. Like when he was upright, he had the ball in his possession. The play should be blown dead right there. Yeah. So where I, I'm going to go with it, this I, I look at the NFL and I say the way they did it this year, great. 254 times New York had to get involved, great. 127 challenges that didn't have to get used, so coaches should use them when they need to use them. Great. I think the last two minutes has to change. I think the last two minutes, that Patrick Mahomes play should have been a reviewable. And now whether people are saying like, because I see people saying like, oh, he did take a step on the green. He was engaged. And then he got another shove, two or three steps or whatever, two more steps all into the white. That's that's within interpretation. If I engage you within the green, it doesn't matter what happens after. Now, I can't pick you up and slam you, but like a shove to me, is not unnecessary roughness to the point where you give them 15 yards to a field goal. So in that instance, I think plays like that need to be discussed. I, I think that uh, they they have to be able to look at it in New York. And, and even if New York says, you know what, yep, he, he, he shoved him again because Patrick Mahomes did a, a total soccer 
uh Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo, whatever, flail, fall to the ground, you killed me. So I, I think that I think the refs should have been able to look at that. I don't think he really got pushed that hard, but it is what it is. The NFL is not changing. Uh, they might, you know, add something to it or, hey, this is what we can do. This is how we can talk about it. But we got to move on. The next one. Now, the Wolves, this is, a, this, is a, this is a weird one for me. The Wolves are beating teams they shouldn't beat, and they're losing the teams that they should beat. And so it just doesn't add up with where the Wolves are. Like, you look at them beating the Warriors, and they beat the Grizzlies, but then they lose to the Pistons. Like my daughter to this day still brings up the fact that they lost to the Pistons. I'm like, but baby, they beat they beat the Grizzlies though. <laughs> She's like, but dad, they lost to the Pistons and the Pistons suck. And I'm like, yeah, but they beat the Grizzlies. And so even my daughter doesn't like that they lost to the Pistons. And so I don't know if it's maybe the way the Pistons run their offense. I don't know if it's the matchup issues. But the crazy thing is the Warriors at full strength without any bigs, they match little for little and the Timberwolves won. D'Lo went nuts. Sam brought up a great point. Is D'Lo untradeable or is he really of value to this team? There's a lot in that question. Like, should Gobert be moved on at some point? Like, should you try to trade again for Gobert? Like, trade trade him away because maybe Cat is the only big you need. And in the West and in this league, there's not a ton of teams that, like, it doesn't matter. If Gobert's not a scorer, having another big really doesn't help you. Uh, David Robinson and Tim Duncan were big-time scorers. Olajuwon and Ralph Sampson were scorers. Gobert's not a scorer. So this double big thing they try to do, I don't think it's going to work. Jokic and Cat, yes, that would work. Those are two elite scores. Gobert, no, it's not working. But they found a way to win without him. So all of that is one big question. I'll start with you, Luke. But what, what's going on with the Warriors, like the the Timberwolves? Like is D'Lo untradeable? Like is now, or sorry, is he worth keeping? Yeah. Um, yeah. and is Gobert in the way? Yeah, first I'll just say, like, the fact that they are beating teams like the Grizz and the Warriors, it shows you when they're on and they're playing together at full strength, it shows you their potential and their ceiling, and it makes those losses to the Pistons in the lower tier all the more frustrating. But as far as D'Lo goes, is he untradeable? Well, which D'Lo are you trading? Because if you're trading the one that you've been getting as of late, specifically as a closer in the fourth quarter, that dude's been unbelievable. I mean, this always just felt like kind of a this young team with a lot of talent. They were able to get out to these early leads and make a splash and have some highlights, but always such a hard time closing out games. D'Lo's been the one who's really taken over that veteran leadership role the last few weeks anyways with Cac on. He's really been kind of the glue this team has needed, helped a guy like Ant flourish the way he has. And he's tied, I looked up the stuff, he's tied fourth most 14 plus point fourth quarters this season with five. Four of those five games turned into wins. So he's cashing these not only great late game performances, but he's turning them into wins too. And I know he started out really cold. We all remember that. But as of late, averaging over 20 points per game, averaging nearly 50% from the floor, averaging nearly 50% from three. The guy virtually is automatic from the stripe. Check this out. In the month of January, there was only two guys in the entire NBA that averaged 20 points per game while shooting 45% or higher from three, Nikola Jokic and D'Angelo Russell. And I think most importantly, too, in my opinion, he's helping Ant get to places in his game. We just all hoped and prayed for when the season started, and it took him a while to 
gel and figure things out. But as of late, you look at the last 17 games, they're 12 and five, seven games above 500. And when Ant and D'Lo are on the court together, you got a net rating of plus 7.8. So I just think they finally found their rhythm a little bit. They found their trust in one another, which is huge. That was always a big question. And now that they're six and two in their last eight, 12 and five in their last 17, I'm thinking... How does Coach Finch keep this momentum and chemistry rolling when you do get cat back? Rudy's ready to play more again because you never mess with a good thing. And right now, the Wolves got a good thing going. And you can say it's a great problem to have, like getting Cat and Rudy healthy, but that's a slippery slope too once you start messing with those pieces of the puzzle while you're winning. And to be honest, I, I really don't know the answer to that, Ron. What you got, Reggie? Yeah, it's interesting. We keep saying like when Cat comes back, when is Cat coming back? Like, you would have thought that maybe he would have been back by now, but, you know, we're we're not getting much of any, you know, reports from the team regarding his progress. You know, there was a stretch where he wasn't with the, the team on the bench. He was with them, and then he wasn't. Everybody's like, well, where's Cat? Like, oh, okay, well, he's he's better when he's not there because he could rest the the calf a little bit more or this is just a natural part of his rehab process and and all that stuff but it's just like okay when is he coming back but what, what also was the too, initial timeline sorry to interrupt what was the initial timeline though was he supposed to be back by now yeah he was he was well he was slated to be back by now but okay it's he not, claims that the timeline w- was inaccurate okay. and there's some conspiracy about whether the team released an inaccurate timeline so that the season tickets or the ticket sales wouldn't lag and people wouldn't get discouraged Ooh. there's a there's some there's some talk about that i don't know if it's true yeah so that that whole thing is like a, a mystery but maybe we'll see him again soon but it is going to be tough when he does come back because they had some chemistry issues when he and rudy were out there and you look at rudy's stats and, you know, the last several games, he's, you know, double-double. He's averaging 14, 15, 16, even rebounds a night. And I think Rudy is doing what Rudy has always done. But he's not a guy that is going to, you know, back in the day, you could throw the ball to Shaq. And Shaq, you know, back you down, do a little spin move, dunk on you and all that. Like, Rudy's not a guy that is – creating his own shot even in the paint like he's a lob candidate you know just pick and roll throw it up to him dunk it down like he's not a guy that is generating his own offense and so I think that's the tough part when you look at that trade with all that they gave up they weren't trading for a player like James Harden or you know Paul George Kawhi Leonard or you know name your superstar you were trading for Rudy Gobert and I think that's the part where you know, I was talking to Henry Lake, and he was saying, like, look, Rudy is doing what they brought him here to do. But, yeah, we we overpaid. You know, like the, the Timberwolves overpaid for him, but that's what they felt like they needed. And so I think that's what the tough part about that is, especially when Cat comes back. And in terms of D'Lo, here's the thing about D'Lo. He's doing what he always does. Like, you look at – how he played when he was in Brooklyn. You look at, you know, years past, even with the Wolves since he's been here in Minnesota, like he goes on these like streaks of just playing absolute lights out basketball. But then he also goes on some, some times where he's just like, what are you doing? No, don't do that. And, you know, I think some of these shots that he's making, especially like that game against the Warriors in that fourth quarter where he 
did the back-to-back threes to put him within one, like some of those shots were like, no, 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 no. And then they went in. It was like, oh, you know. And so I think that's something that that D'Lo is doing. And I'm not saying that he is untradeable. I'm not saying that he is tradable. But what I will say is if you are in the mood to make a deal, I don't think his trade value is any higher than it is right now. So it's like if you were going to do something, maybe this would be the right time to do it because even after an off night the other night, he comes back and scores 29 against his former team, the Warriors, and it's a big-time win against those guys. So this may be the window to do something if you're going to do it, but he is playing justifiably where you're like, "Uh, maybe we just keep him around and, and see how far he can take this thing. What you got next, Sam? Yeah, um, I don't think that you can look at your fans and get rid of D'Lo at this point with a straight face. Like, he's just too valuable to their hopes of being a higher seed. Mm-hmm. And I think this team still wants to win. Like, they have they have no intention of trading pieces for a better draft pick at this point. Like, you can, you can legitimately be a four, five, or six seed. You can avoid the play-in round. D'Lo is fueling your success. Nas Reed is fueling your success. Ant, obviously. Austin Rivers actually stepping up big. People are figuring out their roles right now. I do worry if Cat and Gobert both get healthy, how you manage that, because you clearly can't just try to log jam them all in. Also, you got to save room for Nas Reed to get minutes. Nas Reed is an inside-outside threat. He had the clinching dunk against Golden State. Fans love watching him. I love watching him. 10 times more than Rudy Gilbert. I don't care if he's not as good at at defense or blocking shots, but guys, the Wolves are fun to watch right now, legitimately. They were not for a long time. They are now. And I have to say, as someone who's been a trade D-Lo guy, D-Lo's got to stay. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I I say D-Lo stays. Um, I say Rudy Gobert goes. I hate to do it that way, but D-Lo stays, Gobert goes. I look at all these other teams because I think with Rudy Gobert, um, you're you're just you're limited in what you can do. And when you look at the Timberwolves and what they could possibly do, there's a sixth seed. You got the Warriors at the ninth seed. You got the Kings, and so just looking at the Kings, you got the Kings as the third seed. They go out there with Keegan Murray, De'Aaron Fox, uh, Sabonis. Uh, Kevin Huter and Malik Monk. Like they're not playing with two bigs. Like nobody's really playing with two bigs anymore. And so even like two really, really bigs, I mean like a big power forward and a big center, like nobody's doing that. So I just think going with athletes, guys that can play well together, you put Cat as your four, your five can be anybody. It can just be an enforcer. It doesn't have to be a seven footer, just somebody who's strong and big that can move people. That's where I think it's going to go for them. If Cat's the five, I get it, but there's no more Shacks. So as long as Cat doesn't get handsy and get fouls, he's fine. So I, I think that that's the key is, and then stop whining when he gets back in the game. But I think that's the key. You keep D'Lo, you move on from Gobert, you find some pieces. I think you should never made the trade in the first place because clearly you look at the players out there. Uh, uh, Walker Kessler is actually making the Jazz a better team. But hey. That's it's too late now. We made the decision. We moved on. Here's another one, though. I I, I said it in the early open. I want to pay off the tease. The Grizzlies and the Timberwolves are forever linked. Forever linked. They're forever linked. We know because of Pat Beverly getting up on the table and acting like he won the Super Bowl and crying after winning the playing game. Like he shacked a fool. Like Charles Barkley talked about him. He said, You're always just going to be on the bus. You're never a bus driver. Like we know that 
for, for phrase. We like all night people stayed up late just to watch TNT bash uh, the, the Timberwolves because it was it was hilarious. Family members coming on the floor taking pictures and crying with the girlfriends. And I mean, you just got into the playoffs. That's it. You didn't win a playoff series like you want a playing game. And they were linked. And now they're linked again because Jaron Jackson Jr. gets into the All-Star game. And when you look at his points, he doesn't have more points than Anthony Edwards. He doesn't have more rebounds than Anthony Edwards. He doesn't have more assists, more steals, more anything, more pizzazz, more flair. He can't play baseball better. He can't play football better. Like, he can't do anything better than Anthony Edwards, but somehow he's in the All-Star game. And he's a good player. He's a good player with the Grizzlies. We get that. But I feel like the Grizzlies, because they've become such a forefront of, like, arguments and fights and dumb stuff, that people tend to look at them now more. And he just got in. Again, there's a conspiracy out there that sounds probably going to hit on. But what do you think about that one? Anthony Edwards snubbed. Jaron Jackson made the play. Uh, All-Star game. Yeah, I I don't understand what's going on with that. I look at just games play. Like, Anthony Edwards has been available every game of the season. Jaron Jackson, I looked at his status right now. He's even day-to-day right now. Like, the, the Grizzlies got into that that brawl if you want to call it a brawl with the Cavs last <laughs> night Jaron Jackson is on the bench chilling in his uh fear of God clothing like that's what's going on with Jaron Jackson the the Grizzlies have played 52 games this season Jaron Jackson has only played 35 of them how do you give a guy like that an all-star nod over Anthony Edwards I'll give you another guy Paul George mm. he's played in 38 games this year He's 23 points, six rebounds, five assists. Ant's numbers are better, but he's Paul George. And that's probably where the, the conversation stops right there. But, it, you know, when you talk about like, oh, it's, it's a youth movement in the league and, you know, guys like Ja and Zion and all this getting into the All-Star game. Well, where's the love for Ant? Is he not? Uh, a burgeoning superstar in this league as well. I mean, he's proven it without Cat. He's going out there and leading the Wolves night in and night out, and he's not getting the respect that he deserves from the league. You know, these were uh, voted in by NBA coaches, so the the coaches in the league don't feel that Anthony Edwards is an all-star, and I'm just trying to understand what basketball they are watching that they feel like Jaron Jackson is – a better player to vote in that Paul George right now in his career is a better player to vote in than Anthony Edwards. Isn't he averaging like eight, nine more points per game? Than Jaron Jackson, yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's, Sam, let's, Sam, has a, Sam has a thought about that. Well, fairness in this argument, guys. Jaron Jackson is not on the court to score. Jaron Jackson is the best defender in the NBA. Yeah. So so that that's a huge part of this. Like if you look at the fan duel odds, Jaron Jackson is minus 180, minus 180 to win the defensive player of the year. Next closest is Bam Adebayo at plus 600. So far and away, Jaron mm. Jackson is probably the best rim protector in the NBA. He has surpassed Rudy Gobert in that regard. Um mm. So statistically, he's never going to live up to Anthony Edwards in any category except blocks and probably, I assume, rebounds because he, uh, wow, only seven rebounds a game. Actually, actually surprises me. only averages like 6.7 rebounds a game and as a guard averages six rebounds a game. Yep. Okay. So that's actually closer than I thought. But Ant, Ant nonetheless, I think still has a better resume. Like if you look at his stats 
from December 18th on, he's averaging 28, 6.4, and 5. Um, that's absurd. He's shooting 47%. The Timberwolves are playing great basketball, and he's just one of the most electric young players in the game. I mean, that's the kind of guy you want headlining this youth movement, uh, and Ant isn't going anywhere. I mean, he's going to be a stalwart in in you know the upper crust of the NBA for the next decade. So it surprised me. I don't know specifically, guys, if there is sort of an allotment of bigs versus guards. I know the NBA is very positionless now. I don't know if it's Jaron Jackson specifically who took Ant's spot. I don't know enough about it. Maybe right. the Paul George <laughs> argument is is more valid, Reggie, because that's actually, well, I guess they list him as a forward, but he's more of that kind of off like wing type of player that Ant is. Um, so I don't know. I think I should be enraged, though. Uh, now, the Jaron Jackson conspiracy you were alluding to, Ron, <laughs> some uh, some intrepid Redditor thought that Jaron Jackson was getting inflated blocks and inflated steals from the home statisticians. It was a really good theory. I was all in on it. But uh, some people have gone back and debunked it mainly to uh, to to hold up his his honor and credibility. So I think that was much to do about nothing. But I was I was here for it. Yeah, and I get it. And that's why the fans don't get the last vote because the All-Star game is not about defense. I don't think anybody's going to play defense. The score is going to be like 160 to 148. Like I, they, I don't know if they're doing that weird scoring again with Kobe Bryant number and, you know, you got to hit a certain number and then this is the number to get to. And But it, it, they're not – people aren't tuning in to watch defense. That's, that's why when it came to like Dennis Rodman being an All-Star, players like that, like – it's not about the defense. It, it's we're tuning in to watch somebody cross over, step back, go to the lanes, three sixty, dunk the ball, shoot threes from half court. That's why Steph Curry versus Trey Young was so fun to watch. Nobody's watching defense, but I get it. He probably didn't take Anthony Edwards' spot, but it's just another reason for Minnesota fans to just feel another way to be snubbed. Like Justin Jefferson gets snubbed when it comes to like MVPs and stuff like that. You got this person getting snubbed, like. It happens. Uh, one fun one before we get out of here, fellas. Uh, and also, people, make sure you download. So go to your TV. If you have an Amazon Fire or Roku, in your apps, you can download the Locked On Sports Minnesota app. In your TV, right there in your apps, just download Locked On Sports Minnesota's app. You can see all the videos, all the shows right there on your screen. Um, last one, fun one before we get out of here, fellas. Arian Foster, man, like, he hit the airwaves this week. And, and a lot of times when your name is true, I love when people do the Twitter, like, search of a person's name and then, they, they do like surprise video of I can't believe this person's trending. And then they put the video like the whole montage together is hilarious because it's like somebody search Arian Foster says trending. And then the video pops up saying the NFL is rigged anyway. Like they already know who's going to win. And he's saying it tongue in cheek. Like he's not. Well, I don't know. Arian Foster might be a flat planet Earth or two, but um, I just don't think he really feels like it is. I think he's because he's rolling with it now. And now other players are having fun with it. Like, oh, man, when this happened, it was scripted. And I've even gotten to it. My tweets and my videos, like <laughs> I did the Tom Brady video uh, last night where it fit perfectly. I'm like, the minute Tom Brady found out he had to retire, he pulled the whole Wolf on Wall Street with the NFL. Like, I'm not leaving. <laughs> I'm not freaking leaving. You know, and, and all the Buccaneers, the locker room got excited, blah, blah. And then eventually he leaves. And he might come back again. Who knows? But the, the fact that the NFL is scripted, like the whole 28 to three, like that was funny too. Somebody posted a video of Tom Brady looking back, uh, smiling, talking about when Tom Brady saw Matt Ryan walk into the uh, Super Bowl 51 script reading. And Tom Brady has like this huge smile on his face looking back at whoever was entering the room. It's, it's hilarious and we're having fun with it. But to, to your knowledge or to your thought process, because I know refs can affect games. Like I know there's the, the Celtics-Lakers game. There's a, a conspiracy now 
that the son of the dad, uh, or yeah, I think the son of the dad that ref that game had big money on the Celtics. And the mm. dad was asked about that. He mm. said, I had no idea about my son's bet. And it was a substantial bet. I had no idea about my son's bet against the Celtics to beat the Lakers. He claims he has no idea. Now, again, I don't mm. think every child shares every bet with their parent. But if you're old enough to bet, I'm, you might like, oh, dad, you're, you're roughing this game. By the way, man, I got money on the game. Ha, ha, ha. You know, like, not, not saying he did not call the calls because he wanted to make sure his son got his money. But I might, I feel like uh, Danny DeVito is going to show up at this guy's door with a bat because he's like, hey, look, <laughs> you're, you're not, you're not going to cheat Vegas. And we've seen a lot of those Vegas movies. Whenever Vegas feels like they've been cheated, what happens to the cheater? And so not saying he did it, but the fact that he had to come out and say, hey, hey, I had no idea about my son's bet. It's like, okay, sure you didn't. Uh, but is the NFL rigged? And if it is not, do you have any proof to support your claim, let's start with you, Luke, real quick. David Tyree catch, come on, greatest play in Super Bowl history, 0% chance you can rig that up, even if you put sticky glue. glue on his gloves, man. David, Tyree, run was, David Tyree was on our show, and he said – That's right. He can he can confirm nor deny if he had any extra sticky stuff on his gloves. Okay, fair enough. But, but even <laughs> if he did, right, let's say he did, they could run that simulation a thousand times. They'd maybe be able to recreate that once or twice. I guess. Eli Manning just posted the – little giants and we know what happened in the oh. little giants movie oh annexation of puerto rico the, that's the right he's the stickiest i mean hey yeah it ha anything <laughs> for that little edge you know what ocho cinco is putting on those gloves don't you mcdonald's you hear about that i guess you know for arguments that the league is actually rigged or scripted and by no means I i'm with you ron i don't think a lot of people thought he was serious about like an actual script like a hollywood movie coming out but two things that have the most control or human element would obviously be the refs we know that how about the kickers though i mean you can pay you know the vegas <laughs> mobsters or, or you know mafia they call up a kicker is making a vet men say hey here's an extra two three million dollar bonus to miss the game winning kick at the end that i i guess i could maybe believe has happened maybe once or twice if that were the case actually you know what thinking about it no kickers <laughs> have probably made more extra money than vikings kickers over the last <laughs> three decades or so but ron i mean you're the former player you've been behind the scenes tell us what's going on like it, this is 1000 percent ridiculous right i'll, like, I'll close there's nothing it out fishy I'll, going on behind the scenes is there I'll tell my thoughts on this. Okay. I'll close it out. Sam, what okay. you got? Uh, immaculate reception. I mean, I think ah. to me that's even more improbable than the helmet catch. You're you could practice that, you know, and try to plan it out WWE style. You go through rehearsals, make sure that everybody executes perfectly. That's such a crazy bounce. There's no way that Franco Harris was going to pluck that an inch from the ground. Not a chance. That's that's my proof right there. That's all I need. <laughs> Reggie, what you got? Okay, so, you know, I grew up a St. Louis Rams fan, and there is no way that the Patriots should have beaten the Rams in that Super Bowl. 14-point like dogs. I stick to that. And Marshall Falk is still beating the drum that they were – he was like, man, we were running plays that Mike Martz had never installed before – at the you know at any point that season and the Patriots when we ran those plays the Patriots knew what we were doing how did they know they were spying on us and so I think you know it's funny now that we've seen the NFL play out throughout the years it's kind of crazy to think about now but there was a minute 30 left in that game the Patriots were on the 17 yard line and Tom Brady marches them down the field with no timeouts 
and they kicked the field goal to beat the Rams to win his first Super Bowl. That's just not supposed to – like John Madden was even on the broadcast like, yeah, I think he just, you know, they take the time out here and and we're going to go to overtime in the Super Bowl. And then all of a sudden it was like, wait a minute, no. Like Brady just hit a crosser. Oh, he just hit another crosser. Oh, shoot, like they're like near midfield. Oh, shoot, they're past midfield. Oh, dang, Vinatieri's coming out there. Oh, man, they just beat the Rams. Dude's doing a snow angel in the end zone. Like, those images will always stick in my mind. And if the NFL is rigged, they're like, oh, no, this greatest show on turf. You know, we want the Rams to suck for years and years to come so that we can move them back to L.A. Mm. Not not crazy, right? Mm-hmm. So you're be. arguing it is rigged. Could mm-hmm. it, it could be rigged. Hey, okay. something about saying. I mean, why is March installing random new plays the week of the Super Bowl? I mean, and even before that, the Tuck rule. They shouldn't have even been in the Super Bowl. Mm. This is what I say. I rest my case. It could be rigged, and it can't be rigged. So some games, I'm not saying it's rigged like the NFL wrote a script, but I think there are some games where the refs are human beings. And they just make some calls for some people. Like, there's a video of a referee talking to Michael Jordan. And he says, and this is, of course, Jordan's older. But he's like, did you get fouled there, Mike? And he's like, yeah, man, I got hit. He hit me on the arm. Blah, blah. He's like, I didn't see it that way, Mike. But I believe you. <laughs> and it was like, what? Like, <laughs> like, like, so you can't tell me there's not a human element in some of these games. Now, to Sam's point, yes. The helmet catch. Uh, the 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 uh, Julian Edelman catch between you know legs and all those type of plays. Yeah, the the Justin Jefferson one handed catch. Now, did the NFL like in the helmet to uh, Josh Allen when he was on the one yard line? Like, hey, um, you, you need to fumble here. You you have to fumble in the end zone here. Like, just don't take a knee and get a safety. Fumble it so Harrison Smith can fumble fumble the fumble the ball. And, you know, so <laughs> I don't know if that's happening where, like, there's money on the line at some point. And then the NFL realized, like, oh, we can make this a really good script if this happens at this point. You know, so not saying it's real, but it's hilarious how I love social media because it just it takes off. Everybody, all the players are getting involved now talking about, man, you, you like when like even RG3, he was like, man, if I had known that playoff, if I knew that playoff game was getting the way it ended, I couldn't believe the script had me tear my knee up like that. Like, you know, like just all that little stuff, like players buying into it. It's, it's hilarious. Aaron Foster is getting famous this week. Uh, so again, that that's that's what this whole world is about, man. Let, let me say something that might hit the airwaves, that that might be funny, uh, and it took off. It, the NFL is now rigged. Uh, Demar Hamlin, like even the conspiracy people with that, like trying to say the ambulance isn't an ambulance. If you go to the other side, it has the ambulance stuff on the other side, not the side the camera picture was taking. Like it's just people are just so dumb, you know. And now oh, look at the look at the van that looks like a U-Haul truck. Look at every NFL stadium. Uh, they all of them have the same type of truck. I don't know if they have a deal with U-Haul or something to have stadium like those hospitals uh, deals, but it is different. But whether the NFL is rigged or not, people, you let us know what you think at home. We're, we're going to have this up. So we want to hear the comments, the thoughts, tweet us. Just let us know. Is it rigged or not? I don't know. Reggie thinks it's rigged because the Rams suck. If it is rigged, I, I know a lot of people are about to go beat up Blair Wash and Gary Anderson because those are two chances the Vikings should have been deeper in the playoffs or even in the Super Bowl. Uh, and and I do believe if the Vikings had made a Super Bowl that year, they win it because I think the Falcons won the Super Bowl that year. So pretty sure the Bron- Vikings Broncos won it. Broncos. Won. Oh, the Broncos beat them. Yeah. Vikings would have beat them though. Vikings Vikings would have beat, beat them. Vikings would have beat the Colts too. The year the Saints got in in 09. 
That was yep. not. True. They would have beat the Patriots the year they Keenum. <laughs> they would have always won the Super Bowl. Well, the Eagles did win that one. Case Keenum would have. That would have right. been. That would have been the perfect script. But see again, the script was not written for Case Keenum to be the hero. Case Keenum was the hero we needed, not what we wanted. And so <laughs> Case Keenum couldn't be the, the hero to end the, the show. It had to be Nick Foles. And so Case Keenum had to go off and lose 41 to 7. It just is what it is. Like it was the script was written. Uh, but I want to thank everybody who continues to like, share, download, comment. Uh, from me, Reggie, uh, Sam, and Luke, we're extremely thankful for all your support. This is Locked On Sports Minnesota. This is the Friday Roundtable. I'm Ron Johnson. And I want you guys to have a great day.